PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Eclipse. Eclipse has helped physical therapists streamline their practices since 1985. Eclipse is a comprehensive all-in-one system that handles your billing, scheduling, and clinical documentation. Find out more at www.ineedeclipse.com or call 1-800-966-1462. What hasn't been studied as much, however, is this broader context of the treatment episode that goes beyond just the patient-related beliefs. I think we're not training our students in that regard. We're starting to talk about that in our program here in Sydney. Clinicians that provide encouragement, developing trust, agreeing on treatment goals and methods, they are associated with better treatment outcomes. Welcome to this PTJ discussion podcast, The Therapeutic Alliance as an Intervention. In this discussion, PTJ author Dr. Jorge Fuentes discusses his controlled trial examining pain in patients with low back pain using the Therapeutic Alliance as an experimental variable. Joining Dr. Fuentes are Dr. Paolo Ferreira, the author of a 2013 PTJ retrospective observational study of the Therapeutic Alliance, and Dr. Stephen George, a PTJ editorial board member and low back pain expert. And now our moderator, Steve George. Welcome to PTJ's podcast. My name is Stephen George, and I'm an associate professor and assistant department chair at the University of Florida. Before we get into our discussion of this very interesting study and topic, I would like to introduce our participants. First, we have the lead author of the paper in PTJ, Jorge Fuentes. Hello. First of all, I would like to thank Dr. George and the Physical Therapy Journal for the opportunity to discuss the content of this article. I am Jorge Fuentes. I am a physical therapist. I have a PhD in Rehabilitation Sciences. I am from Chile. Currently, I am an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the Catholic University of Maule in the city of Talca, Chile. In addition, I have a position as adjunct assistant professor in the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. During the last few years, I have been involved in the study of the placebo effect in physical therapy basically how the therapeutic context can modulate the pain experience in patients with chronic pain. Thank you, Jorge. And we will now move on to our second guest, who's our content expert on low back pain and has also done some work on therapeutic alliance, Paulo Pereira. Thanks, Steve. I have been one of the leaders of the spinal research group at the University of Sydney, and that's a job that has been going on for the last six years. And before that, I was at the Federal University in Brazil, so that's where the Brazilian accent comes from. My research interests are in back pain, and there are actually two major fields that I'm interested in. One is looking at risk factors for back pain using a research design where we can adjust for genetic confounders. And the second field that I'm quite passionate about is the issue of the therapeutic alliance between clinicians and patients and how we can enhance that and the impact of that on patient outcomes. Great. And we're very lucky to have you both participating on this podcast. Basically, my take on this is for quite some time, we've known that effective treatment of musculoskeletal pain involves more than just addressing the suspected pathology and resultant impairment. Studying low back pain in particular has provided some important lessons in this regard. We know there's a psychological influence on low back pain. That has been well documented in literature. And we now know that patient-related beliefs and emotions like 
catastrophizing in fear to negatively impact outcomes for low back pain. What hasn't been studied as much, however, is this broader context of the treatment episode that goes beyond just the patient-related beliefs and gets into the realm of the interaction between the patient and provider. This alliance, if it involves the right components, interestingly, has the potential to enhance patient outcomes. The paper from Fuentes et al. is an extremely well-controlled investigation into therapeutic alliance and its potential impact on pain relief. Its findings may have considerable importance in improving our understanding not only if therapeutic alliance enhances outcome, but also how it enhances outcome. Jorge, could you briefly summarize your study for our listeners? Yeah. We came across some interesting literature suggesting that a positive response depends at least as much on the relationship between the patient and the clinician as it does on the technical aspect of the intervention. Considering the nature of our profession as physical therapists, our profession is based on touch, care, attention, right? Because of that, physical therapists have the opportunity to build a quality relationship with the patient. We thought, well, this is very interesting to study. So at that time, no randomized control study was published assessing the significance of the therapeutic alliance on pain modulation for chronic liver pain patients. So basically, that was the main motivation. We include a sample of over 100 people. These people were randomized into four different groups. The active limited included basically the application of an active interferential therapy combined with a limited therapeutic alliance. The second group was the active enhanced, which received a combination of active interferential therapy with an enhanced therapeutic alliance. The third group was sham enhanced, the sham interferential therapy in an enhanced therapeutic alliance. And the last one, the sham limited was the sham application of interferential current therapy with a limited therapeutic alliance. For the limited therapeutic alliance, we used very limited interaction. With no more than five minutes of time, we used just the time to explain the purpose of the treatment. In the hands, the therapist communicated through different behaviors, verbal and non-verbal behaviors. For example, for the verbal behaviors, the therapist included the active listening repeating participant words, asking for clarification among the non-verbal behaviors. We included the eye contact, touch, tone of voice, not only time, but also more quality of time for these people. So the main results for this study showed a clear dose-response effect. So where the largest beneficial effect occurred as expected in the active interferential current group with the enhanced therapeutic alliance. And the smallest effect, also as expected, was displayed by the sham interferential current therapy in a limited therapeutic alliance. So interestingly, the sham interferential current therapy in an enhanced alliance demonstrated better results than the active IFC with a limited therapeutic alliance. Although this difference was not significant, the question whether a sham application in an enhanced context is better than an active treatment in a limited context needs for sure to be explored. Thank you. I'm just interested for Paulo's response to that on any particular aspect. Yeah, I think George's paper is a very good example of how important this whole issue of maximizing and optimizing the quality of the relationship between clinicians and patients can be in the field because one of the things that we are finding in our follow-up studies is that the current training methods that have been published in the literature, they haven't produced quite a lot of effects on the final clinical outcomes of patients receiving treatment. 
I mean, we all know that the quality of the relationship is important. George's group have very smartly identified the issues that are important in the relationship, and they actually concentrate on verbal and nonverbal behaviors. But I think the training issue is something that is quite important. Our recent systematic reviews, and one of them was submitted to physical therapy, they haven't shown huge effects on the current training methods that we have if we look at randomized controlled trials and looking at clinical outcomes. So I think this piece of research is quite interesting and perhaps is pointing to the verbal and nonverbal factors that need to be addressed because I think the current training methods perhaps are not really addressing those behaviors. So, Jorge, what would you have to say about that? I'm kind of hearing this as a potential model for training. Yeah, it's a very central part in the study because we use three different people, different background, different experiences, personality, right? So for us, it was very important to control the way they delivered the treatment. They had to follow very strict directions, a very strict script. We were working with a clinical psychologist in order to create these two different contexts, the limited versus the enhanced. So we used some strategies such as videos, a kind of a role playing with simulated patients. So in that case, we were able to supply a very different, very distinct type of context because we thought, well, if we have three different therapists, we want to know if the therapist effect can basically explain the outcome. So what we did was we analyzed these three different personalities and we were very happy when we find out that the personality didn't influence the outcome. I'm interested in whether there is any long-term follow-up of these patients at all or whether the study stops there. This was one of the main limitations in our study. We need to determine if the reported benefit, especially in the enhanced alliance, can be sustained in a longer term, right? The research protocol was aimed to test the immediate effects of the therapeutic alliance. We included just one session. So it is unclear at this point if this positive effect of the alliance would be different after a series of treatments or after a follow-up, right? So in that case, as Dr. Ferreira mentioned in his paper, it could be possible that a longer period of interaction would result in a better effect in the outcome. Yep, I agree. And I think this kind of leads to the question I wanted to ask both of you because I really think the perspectives here are interesting where we have a highly controlled, high treatment fidelity situation with shorter term outcomes. And then we have someone who's looked at how this has been implemented in clinical trials with longer term follow-up. I'm just wondering if either of you can speculate on whether you think these findings are specific either to the measure used, which focused on pain intensity and pain sensitivity, and or the treatment that was used, which I'm guessing is also a little bit different, being that it was a pure modality approach compared to maybe some of the other studies that were included in the systematic review. Would you expect this to be similar for functional outcomes or disability outcomes? And also, would you expect the alliance perhaps to have a different impact on a non-modality intervention? Well, yeah, that's a very interesting point, and I think there are some insights into that that we can probably comment on. I don't think we have found the final answer yet, just like almost anything in research, but some of the stuff that we have done in the past have shown that at least the quality of the interaction depends a lot on what sort of treatment is being implemented, and what we have found was that 
conservative treatments for back pain that have a stronger psychosocial component, such as you know, general exercise with CBT components, they appear to depend more on the quality of the interaction compared to something that is more physiological in nature, such as motor control exercise. We don't know whether this is going to hold true for other types of interventions or other longer-term follow-up studies, but the preliminary evidence that we have, and some groups in the UK have shown the same as well, is that the relationship appears to affect differently the types of treatments that are implemented. And I think in real life, this makes sense, you know. I keep thinking that if I'm seeing my GP, I think the quality of the interaction is important for me. But if I need a surgical procedure, for example, for appendicitis, I don't think the quality of the interaction is quite that important. You know, I think how good the surgeon technically is is probably the main thing. So, and I think the sort of outcomes that we look at will probably determine the effect of the relationship. So things that tend to be more self-reported, I think, are more strongly affected by the interaction. So were you at all surprised then? I mean, where do you put something like interferential current on that spectrum? Were you surprised that the alliance had this nice additive effect? Or does this suggest that even some of the things that we think are closer to being more or less physiologically based aren't? Or do you think this had to do with the context of how the interferential current was delivered? I'm just curious because on that spectrum, I would see it closer to being a physiologically oriented treatment rather than a CBT approach. Do you you understand kind of what I'm... Yep, yep, I do understand what you're saying. And I think it's an intriguing point because I was a bit surprised with the effects because I agree if you look at an interferential type of treatment, it looks like it's more of a physiological type of treatment that doesn't involve a lot of psychosocial issues and factors associated with that. But I think that also shows that perhaps when you actually train clinicians in the proper way and with the right factors that need to be addressed, you know, the verbal and nonverbal factors that need to be addressed, perhaps that's the issue that makes the whole difference. I guess an interferential type of treatment still involves some interaction. And like we mentioned before, it would be interesting to follow these patients in time and see what happens in the future. Yeah, I agree. And the choice of the treatment was partly what made this very interesting because it did lend itself to this compartmental view. And I think it was used very well in this design to look at these effects in separate ways, which is much harder to do, I think, when you get into some of the approaches that are more CBT, cognitive behaviorally based, because they have so many active ingredients. And this was a nice way, I think, to distill down those active ingredients. So, you know, yet another kudos to the research team. I wonder if both of you could also comment for our clinical listener who is intrigued by this. If someone would want to measure therapeutic alliance directly or try to get an idea of what my alliance is with a group of patients or with this particular patient, are there measures or methods you would suggest to do that? Yeah, I think clinicians, they do have some tools available to assess the quality of the relationship these days. One of the most popular is the Working Alliance Inventory. It's called the WAI, and that has been translated to quite a lot of languages and the psychometrics have been assessed. There are some problems with the measure, I think, that still need to be fixed, but it's just an example of something that is available for clinicians. Great. Jorge, would you like to comment on any of the measurement issues? Sure. I would like to mention some aspect of the tool we use for this study. Besides the 
working alliance inventory. There are a few other tools created to evaluate the level of the alliance between the therapist and the patient. So we use the working alliance subscale of the pain rehabilitation expectation scale. This is a relatively new tool. It was created like four years ago, I think. The reason why we choose this one was basically because it's a self-reported clinical intervention-specific assessment developed to measure motivation, expectations, and working alliance for rehabilitation interventions in low back pain patients. So that's the reason why we choose this one. And also because there are some important psychometric properties about this tool as well. So we consider that was a specific tool for the condition and also we thought that was valid and also reliable tool for this study. Because it's a particular interest of yours, Jorge, I wondered if you wanted to spend a couple of minutes before we do have to wrap up. You mentioned in your introduction that you have studied placebo. And I'm just wondering, and again, this is speculation, do you see therapeutic alliance as we measure it better and become more aware of it? Is this the placebo effect for you? Or do you think this is part of the placebo effect? I'm just wondering, as we gather more data, how does that change your interpretation of nonspecific effects? Because when I hear nonspecific effects, I think of things that we don't measure directly. And now we can measure this alliance directly and see how much it contributes. So to me, it no longer becomes a nonspecific effect. So I'm just wondering how this has changed your concept. Yeah, all the effects that are not related with the specific intervention are considered non-specific effects. So we can include the way that the therapies talk, uh, the color of the wall in the clinic, also the relationship between the patient and the clinician. So they are all considered non-specific effects. And now, when these factors can produce a positive outcome in the patient, this is called the placebo effect. So in that case, yeah, it's kind of hard to really distinguish between the placebo and the non-specific effect because, again, they are very closely interrelated, right? Right. Thank you. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to hit on? We talked about some of the clinical application. I think we can include some recommendations for clinicians in order to maximize the effect of the alliance. For example, clinicians who succeed in showing empathy Clinicians that communicate effectively, clinicians that provide encouragement, developing trust, agreeing on treatment goals and methods, they are associated with better treatment outcomes. And simply, for example, we did in our study, simply by listening and saying appropriate things, physically contacting the patient, either during the assessment and also during the treatment, this can really produce an important effect. And also the opposite, so inappropriate comments can really exacerbate the symptoms, right? I think that is very important in order for clinicians to be aware about what are probably the most relevant recommendations. Yeah, I agree. And thank you for those. Certainly all those can be seen as vehicles for enhancing therapeutic alliance. So as we move to wrap up this very interesting and informative podcast, Paulo, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think no matter what type of treatment we talk about, the most consistent finding in this field is that the quality of the relationship does predict the outcome. And that's something that at least physiotherapists don't think they are exploring very well. I think we're not training our students in that regard. We are starting to talk about that in our program here in Sydney. 
And I think with physical therapists being educators more than ever, I mean, I don't know how many average number of treatment sessions physios actually deliver in the U.S., for example, but in Australia, I know that that number, that frequency of treatment sessions is reducing. So physios don't have that much time to actually have the hands-on patients anymore. So they are acting more and more as educators. So that issue of how they interact with their patient, how they look at their patient, how they listen to their patients, whether they establish eye-to-eye contact, it's quite important. So no matter which treatment you pick, you do need to be concerned about this. And just as good as clinicians get with their hands and with their clinical thinking, they need to be good at their relationships as well. And there are tools to assess the quality of the relationship. They could probably be assessing at baseline as soon as they start interacting with their patient. They should be assessing the quality of how the patients are actually responding to that interaction because that will give them some good idea on the prognosis of the patient. Very good. I'll let Jorge have his last word that he'd like to share with listeners. Oh, well, basically, at this point, I will emphasize that it's very important for clinicians, for physical therapists, to be aware about all aspects of the therapy. And of course, they must be considered carefully. In an ideal scenario, physical therapists should combine the power of modern technologies, better therapeutic approaches, and also the therapeutic value of the context. The context matters. I just want to take the opportunity to thank Paulo and Jorge for providing their expertise, encourage those that are interested in this topic to read both papers, the paper from Jorge that's been the main focus, and also Paulo's paper from last year, also in PTJ, and in listening to the recommendations on how to enhance therapeutic alliance. I think a lot of these seem familiar to therapists, and I would encourage people not to assume that those things are happening and to be objective and perhaps a little bit critical of their own practice, because I think one of the potential issues with this is it could be one of those things that every therapist thinks they're doing quite well and all the other therapists are not. I think that was one of the reasons why I was very interested in ways to measure this, because from my experience and looking at psychological factors, sometimes therapists get an impression that they can sense when someone is fearful or anxious, but that's not often the case. I'm pretty certain it's similar with Therapeutic Alliance that until you start measuring it, you won't know for certain how it's being developed or if it's being developed. So thank you, Jorge, for the wonderful paper and for your insights on it. And thank you also, Paulo, for taking the time to provide your expertise and contributing to this podcast on Therapeutic Alliance. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.